1: And if we think prevention of multimorbidity, probably there's a lot of ways. How how would you approach the prevention?
0: Yeah, there are, I think, many ways to approach this. Uh, One way to move forward is obviously in terms of what we are talking about today, physical activity. Since we know physical inactivity is a risk factor for many conditions, just starting being physically active can actually help prevent developing multimobility diet is obviously another important aspect focusing on what you eat and preventing uh, being overweight i think some one thing that is is uh, is really important to acknowledge in that space is that we tend to focus on um, prevention and and um, interventions like behavioral interventions like physical activity as something that is uh, you know up to the individual but within multi as with individual chronic conditions it's also really important to acknowledge the importance of the system in terms of helping people being more physically active so if we are more focused on how can we as a system, a healthcare system or society, be more friendly in terms of supporting people being more fiscally active. That would also be an important focus for the future. One you know, very simple way is to look at how the, the built environment is focused on the ability to be fiscally active. Instead of focusing on uh, that the environment is good for the, the cars, we should focus on ensuring that it's good for people biking or for people walking because that would also encourage people to be more physically active. And the same goes for, for other aspects that is important in prevention, like smoking, which is also really important to prevent. Obviously, it's up to the individual to stop smoking. But as a system, we can support them in terms of stop smoking. And the same goes for alcohol and other factors that uh, you know could be preventive measures in terms of reducing uh, multimorbidity. Go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, population level and, and structural changes could really help influence uh, the determinants of, of developing uh, multimorbidity. And some of it also relate to economics, obviously, because sometimes it can cost money to be physically active and uh, not all have the money for that.
1: And how, how do you see we both come from the sports, science, physical activity side and and I always interview people who come from this side and physical activity. And it always comes as really important. Is it really important or are we in our own bubble that we all the time see it as a solution? Do people from other fields agree? Or how, how, how do you see this kind of bias that we are we are seeing?
0: Well, we, we, we know, and I, it's, this is also from talking to people that is outside uh, focus on physical activity and sports medicine, we know that inactivity is a major determinant of many chronic conditions and is one of the top reasons people die and it's really costly for society. So it is an important factor. Obviously, and that's what you're also alluding to, there are other factors that is also important to focus on from a a patient or person perspective i think what we can do to help a person with with multimorbidity is to try to avoid to ask them to do and you know a number of things too many things because a major challenge having multimorbidity is what is called treatment burden which is is basically the, the well intended advice that you and I give focused on physical activity, the doctor gives focusing on other things and so on, which tends or ends up being a burden on the shoulders of the person. And you know, if we put too many good advice and too many self management advice and treatment appointments that they have to go to, it's sometimes easier not to do anything. So I think moving back to physical activity and the importance of it, it is important, but we might start a bit lower than at the level that we perhaps wanted to because we are so enthusiastic about getting people to move more. Perhaps just start seeing how can we push a few buttons to get the individual to move a bit more in their daily life. And uh, recently a colleague of mine, Alessio Bricka, looked at factors that uh, you know that could buttons that could be important to push in terms of getting people with multimobility to change behavior and and the two uh, factors that seems to be most, most important from his p- perspective or at least the, the systematic review he did was focusing on the social perspectives um, bringing people together to exercise and also the the planning of simple, practical actions in daily life that could be walking another block or walking a bit further with your dog and things like that. Instead of saying now the the guideline says we need to do 150 minutes of physical activity every week so just start doing that. We should probably start a bit lower and just get people to do a bit more and we have evidence now supporting that just doing a bit more, a bit less sedentary time is actually beneficial for your health. So, so I think uh, that is a success criteria for us as as somewhat uh, uh, nerdy physical activity and sports um, exercise uh, researchers to to try to perhaps push the right buttons instead of uh, pulling up the volume to to the top to begin with, and then we could add on obviously over time.
1: Mm. Yeah, that that really makes sense. And and you mentioned earlier the built environment, which is which is quite a big change. It, it it needs to be the decision makers in the country, in the city. And and then you mentioned the healthcare system, that if we just pour it on the person, it is burden for them. How do you see that this should be done in the in the right way? How could we approach who is the person guiding the person to do more? How, how do we achieve it?
0: This is a really important aspect as well. And I think um, there are many ways or many solutions or, or th- ways to move forward. Obviously, the, 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 the social group that you're part of is is really strong. So if you're able to build networks that are focused on activities that you like, so preference-based instead of based on, on what the healthcare provider wants you to do, I think that's one part of the solutions So, preferences and the social network. I'm a physical therapist by background, and we are trained to to help people exercise. But there are obviously other professions that c- could help as well. There are also um, research done on what is termed social prescribing, which is is basically trying to help people uh, with whatever it could be physical activity or something else, but helping them out closer to where they live, which I think is a really important aspect as well. That we do not you do not have to go. To a hospital that is far away from where you're living to do the exercises because that makes things challenging with parking and and travel and and so on. So solutions close to where the person lives, and that might even be e-based solutions. Uh, recently, we looked at available apps for people with single conditions and multimorbidity, and I guess the conclusion was that although there are many apps out there, many of them are not. Of sufficient quality or have sufficient potential to, to change behaviors, there's still some development needed. But I think it has potential to deliver the intervention in other ways than just the, the gym based solution. Other, you know, I think interesting examples are exercise outside, so in the nature. We're currently running a big study in people with uh, different types of arthritis where we're doing exercise out in the nature. And, um, you know, considering other ways of delivery and other places where it is delivered that is more preference based and that focusing on the social aspects, I think is is where we should uh, move in in the future to get more people active. But because it's still a problem, uh, it is quite challenging to be more active and we are not there yet. It's probably the the correct term to describe uh, the current state.
1: Yeah, and I, I think the apps, apps thing is interesting, and, and we had a recording with Dr. Miriam Caprita, and, and we just discussed that quite many people who develop these kind of apps, they don't have a wide base. Maybe they come from biomedical engineering that they know the signal, they know how to measure something, and they know how to turn it into variables, but kind of understanding of psychological factors, social factors, and, and many other things that usually apps are quite, quite narrow in that sense. Uh, did, did you find any, any apps that you, you see potential? And as a second question, how should we approach developing the apps? What would be the organization that we could actually develop apps that would work?
0: Yeah, I think uh, you're highlighting something really important there, that we come from different backgrounds and professions and are specialized in in very different things. And at least in in recent years, I have more and more tried to gather a team that is multi-professional because only in that way, at least from my perspective, are we able to develop an intervention being an app or being a physical intervention that is actually relevant for the individual that needs it. And, and part of that team is obviously also including the, the public and the, the end users of the intervention, um, including the app. So, so the apps that has been developed or we have looked at so far, focused on multimorbidities, COPD, heart failure, osteoarthritis, hypertension, type two diabetes and, and uh, depression. And a research that originally came from the osteoarthritis area, I'm still doing a lot of research in in osteoarthritis. It was a bit depressing to see that actually the the area with with the the worst apps is actually within the field of osteoarthritis, where the quality and the potential for for behavior change was actually not as good as within um, some of the other fields. So, so some of the fields where there were uh, available apps that were better was uh, within uh, depression, which has has had a, a, a higher potential for behavior change, and also in in multimorbidity. But still, the overall uh, conclusion in this field was that they were the available apps out there were of acceptable quality, but had low to moderate potential for promoting behavior change. Not at the stage where we have an app that can be used for this particular purpose
1: and and you said that for depression the apps were a bit better and for multi which organizations have have created these apps
0: we we decided to look for apps that uh, you know was available and also uh, apps that that was you know preferred apps that was um popular and, and, and freely available. And, and it has been the apps, without having the full overview in my head, the apps we found was developed by a range of different uh, corporations and involved end users to some extent for some of them and, and to a lesser extent for, for others. And and I think the main take-home message, if you want to develop a, an app, is that the first phase you know, the phase of finding out what is it actually did the end user want, um, which content do they want, do they even want an app, obviously, and and how do they want to use it is so important. So I would rather spend more time on that phase than going directly to developing an app that we as researchers think is, is important. Um, and one app that is that is uh, has been developed in, in such a project is the, the self-back app, which colleagues from the university I'm at uh, was part of developing in an EU grant, which focused on low back pain. And they spent a lot of time, you know, in the development phase. And I think involving end users as well as, and I think that's important as well, ensuring that the app, at least to some extent, is able to adapt to the needs and the feedback that the individual gives is is something that is uh, worth considering. Without being an app specialist, though,
1: and and you said that that was, for example, developed with the EU grant and trying to understand that how should we how should the apps be developed? Usually, researchers have probably better knowledge, on, and especially a multi-professional research team of different factors affecting. But usually they lack a continuous funding, the business understanding, maybe the best app development skills, and that would be probably on the commercial side. How could we make this work that we would actually get good apps which have evidence base and then are also viable business or have a long term
0: future? And I think this is, uh, you know, another aspect where at least myself and I guess many other researchers Uh, are not that experienced or or skilled. That is the collaboration between a company or or other tech skilled persons who can develop the app because obviously I'm not able to develop all the technical specifications of the app. So I think this is really a place where the collaboration between industry and researchers is important and also a, a place that I guess, has a steep learning curve if you're not used to that type of collaboration. And there are grants out there that invites to or, or highlights that they want you to do, uh, to have collaborations uh, with, with the industry. And I think given the many skilled companies out there, there is a room for a potential for such a development uh, project um, also within the field we're talking about today.
1: And i I think when we all are using apps but not many of us are developing them even like you, you first determined that all right we will have the login first and then the developers are like all right we need the database how do we make it protect protected safe and what info we do and and so on so already the login is actually quite a complex development and there's many many questions and i think many times Especially using like, for example, Google products. We think that, ah, it's, you just type in there and then you get the results. And it's probably 10,000 people developing each, each small, small product. So I think it's, I I think we really need to understand (laughs) the different sides.
0: Yeah and I think that's also what I tried to highlight before and and you know that the same you're doing now that instead of trying to to come up with everything yourself involving people that are skilled within a particular field is much better you'll come much f- further ahead and and be developing a much better project product than you know and if you try to do everything yourself
1: and and as we said that this need for collaboration do you have any any projects where you could you could be needing some, some sort of, of experts.
0: Yeah, so in terms of app? Uh,
1: for example, with, with app, yeah.
0: Yeah, yes, for sure. We are you know constantly trying to see, that's what I tried to highlight before, constantly trying to see how can we uh, help individuals with or without chronic conditions be more physically active. And there are obviously many ways, as I've already told you before, And apps are one of them. And and I think since we cannot have people in the healthcare system forever doing exercise in groups, and because some want different ways of doing physical activity, I think there is a, a room for apps. And we are currently... At least in two projects focused on, in that in particular, to to see how can we get people more active using an, a digital platform. We're also using very simple tools like you know text messages with, with a behavioral component that tries to 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 motivate people to be more physically active after leaving cardiac rehabilitation for example so it doesn't have to be fancy everything it c- could be a, in a more more simple means but it's, it's a matter of you now identifying the particular focus areas for the individual that makes them able to be continuously physically active and, and continue their their activity level and
1: I think that you mentioned the cardiac rehabilitation. I think there's studies showing that even with people who have a heart attack, a cardiovascular event, I think it was really low how many actually start exercising, even though they know that they might be dying next time if they, they don't start doing something. And it's it's really striking that how difficult for inactive people it is to actually start doing doing something.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where it's so important for us as healthcare providers or exercise providers to avoid the pitfall of highlighting the 150-minute recommendation and saying, this is what you need to go to instead of just, if we can just push it a bit, we'll still have some benefit. And perhaps also importantly, the benefits of feeling that it's actually nice to move the positive effects that it has on your the psychosocial effect. Yeah,
1: that's, that's interesting. And we have covered now the multimorbidity and exercise and went a little bit to apps. Um, I have asked all my questions that I had prepared before. Do you, do you have some things you would like to add into this multimorbidity and exercise discussion?
0: I think what, what is important to highlight is that, you know, we have strong evidence that shows that exercise is effective and safe treatment of, of at least 26 chronic conditions. But we as researchers have been a bit too, uh, n- not narrow-minded, but we have excluded many people who have comorbidities. And that means actually that we at the current state do not have uh, much evidence highlighting uh, the effects of exercise for people with multiple chronic conditions. And that's what we're doing in, in the Mobilized project that you mentioned to begin with. And there's also a both a UK-based and a New Zealand-based study on its way that, that has a, a, a similar focus. And I think, you know, and also other studies. And I think that will be the future to understand how does exercise affects individual with multiple chronic conditions. There's no reason to believe that it has a negative effect, but still it's really important to, to get more evidence in, in that space and, and also how it um, you know affects their, their psychosocial health and um, inflammation as we talked about uh, early on.
1: And probably you would think that it, it's more benefit for them because exercise probably affects many of the conditions. If you have many, it, it's helping all of them and not only one that you have.
0: At least that that's our hope, I guess. Uh, the, a colleague of mine did a systematic review looking at the, the risk of serious adverse events. It actually looks like... And I say looks like because we're not firm do not have firm evidence supporting that yet, that we reduce the risk of serious adverse events if we get people with multimorbidity to exercise as compared to not exercising. So there's also a lot to do within the space of education of healthcare professionals and also education or helping people understand the benefits of physical activity and motivating them to exercise. Uh, so so yeah, we have a a lot to do, but I also think it's a a positive uh, positive message to to put out there.
1: Yeah, and I think the education takes time. That first researchers do independent individual studies, then you have the reviews, then you get some top level people understand, and then there's the education of healthcare professionals, and and then that actually goes to practice. And I think it takes surprisingly much time to get it down down on the grass
0: level yeah exactly thanks
1: for joining us this week on physical activity researcher podcast if you like the show make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on twitter this podcast is made possible by listeners like you thank you for your support if you found value in the show we would really appreciate a rating on